In California, a Burbank woman's psychic vision led detectives to the body of a murder victim. In 1987, a court ruled that she was wrongly arrested, saying that Los Angeles police lacked sufficient evidence to tie her to the killing. Etta Louise Smith, 39, sued the police department, alleging that detectives lacked reasonable grounds to arrest her in 1980 for murder after her vision led her to the body of a missing nurse. Smith's attorney, James E. Blatt, said after the judge's verdict that his client felt that she had finally been taken seriously. Quote, after six and a half years, that's a tremendous relief, unquote. Two days after the nurse's highly publicized disappearance, Smith reported to police that she envisioned the woman's body dumped in a rural area above Lakeview Terrace. Testimony in the seven-day trial revealed, within 45 minutes after relating her vision to detectives, Smith, accompanied by two of her children and a niece, found the body and led police to the location in Lopez Canyon. Doubting her story, detectives questioned Smith for about ten hours before arresting her on suspicion of having murdered the nurse, Melanie Uribe, then 31. Smith, then a Pacoma resident, was released four days later and never charged. Three men with no known connection to Smith eventually were convicted of the murder and are serving sentences of up to life in state prison. Blatt argued that police never really believed that Smith was involved in the beating death, but suspected that she might have learned of the body's location through means other than a psychic vision. Detectives surmised that a weekend in jail might scare Smith into divulging the true source. The lawyer asserted, at the time of Smith's arrest, Blatt noted police had a witness who had seen three men abduct Uribe. Finding a body is not a crime, Blatt argued. Having a vision is not a crime. Having information about the murder itself is not a crime. And having information about the murder and not giving it to police is not a crime. It just isn't there. The judge agreed, saying that probable cause was not shown by the evidence. At least, that's what I hear. Sometimes our imaginations are captured by the possibility of alternative explanations. Join me as we explore the historical events and public state of mind that influenced the appeal and popularity of the most enduring alternative theories out there. I'm Ryan Nelson, and welcome to Conspiracy Theoryology. On this episode, episode 14, our fascination with psychic detectives. What exactly is a psychic detective? And is there actually any legitimate use of police psychics in criminal investigations? What do law enforcement organizations think of the information provided by psychics? Can we find an explanation for the allure and fascination with these supernatural detectives? Well, after the break, we will peer into the history divine the facts, 
and maybe even solve the case of Psychic Detectives. Howdy, theoriologists. The use of psychic abilities to find answers, uncover clues, find victims, and even uncover identities of criminal perpetrators goes way back. In ancient times, those who sought missing persons could consult an oracle or divine with activities such as astrology. By the 16th century, dowsing became a practiced means of tracking culprits with the use of divining rods. And in the 19th century, sensitives claimed to receive information for a crime in their dreams. And at the height of spiritualism, some mediums claimed to solve crimes through the help of their spirit guides. Modern psychic approaches utilize pretty much all of these old arts, along with many others. A psychic superstar, Noreen Rainier, employs still another old divination technique called uh, psychometry, by which she purportedly gets psychic impressions from objects connected with a particular person. Many psychics claim to use clairvoyance, which is clear seeing, whereby they supposedly see remote images and scenes as if they were viewed on a movie screen. Some psychics even study people's auras, or read the lines in their palms. Psychic detective work has been credited for providing valuable information, if not outright solving, many missing persons and murder cases over the years. Of course, some claims are made only from the psychics themselves, and critics are quick to cite the lack of any scientific backing and the failure of many purported psychics when their skills are tested and held up to scrutiny. Regardless, we are fascinated by the idea of psychic abilities providing investigative support, especially in the most unnerving, unsettling, and unsolved cases. So, let's dive into the background first on this. What is a psychic detective? Well, a psychic detective is a person who investigates crimes by using purported paranormal psychic ability. Examples have included postcognition, which is the paranormal perception of the past, psychometry, information psychically gained from objects, telepathy, dowsing, clairvoyance, and remote viewing. In murder cases, psychic detectives may purport to be in communication with the spirits of the murder victims. Now, that's pretty much the, uh, the Wikipedia version and definition, and it covers it pretty well. But even, even Wikipedia is pretty skewed uh, against the legitimacy. Another note here says, although there are documented cases where individuals claiming psychic abilities have assisted police in solving crimes, there is considerable skepticism in regard to the general use of psychics under these circumstances. Many police departments around the world have released official statements saying that they do not regard psychics as credible or useful on cases. So there you go. Now that we've basically seen, heard the, the Wikipedia uh, perspective on this, let's, um, let's dive into 
oh, some of the statistics on official use. You know, while much of the mass media promotes the idea that investigations and investigators often engage psychic abilities to aid uh, the police, many police forces would argue to the contrary. Now, dated, I'll admit, there's a survey that was conducted in, in 1993 of 50 of the largest police departments uh, throughout the United States. And they had a tremendous response that resulted in uh, 65% claiming to never have used psychics during an investigation whatsoever. Now, of the respondents that claimed to have pursued leads provided by a psychic, all claimed that the information received was no more helpful than any other information received. So it was no better of a lead than any than any other lead. In the UK, survey respondents uh, were a bit more forgiving to a, a similar query, uh, with uh, one force even stating this. We are unaware of any inquiries significantly progressed solely by information provided by a psychic medium, which, of course, worded, doesn't eliminate the use of, of psychics whole cloth, uh, simply that there wasn't any sort of significant impact to the investigations. Now, you may wonder why I've kind of rushed through our, our, our summary and, and our beginning here, and that's because I've got a list of some famous cases uh, that, uh, that I wanted to bring up because really trying to understand this idea of police psychics and, and psychic investigation, you really are only going to understand well with example and hearing some of the cases. So if you aren't familiar with it um, and you aren't, you know, or you aren't familiar with some of perhaps the, the shows that are based on this, this line of investigation, Here's, here's a few to wet your whistle. These first few actually might tweak your interest and, and turn you toward the side of belief. In August of 2002, um, 10-year-olds Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman went missing from a family barbecue. This took place in, in the UK. And desperate for answers, Holly's family contacted a psychic named uh, Dennis McKenzie. He's quoted as saying, I am real sorry, but both girls are dead. And um, they, you know, believed that they had been murdered. He went on to describe a woman with a, as he said, a shrew-like face with brown hair and a man in his 30s, both with a, a northern accent for the region. He also told the family that the girls had been transported in an old red car and wrapped in something like a carpet or bubble wrap. And he even described the view from the killer's house. See, soon the girls' bodies were found, and, and there was a man and a woman matching Mackenzie's descriptions who were subsequently arrested. The, man's, the man, Ian Huntley, claimed the girls had died at his home by accident, with the view from uh, Huntley's uh, home matching Mackenzie's description. Now, he was eventually found guilty of murder, and his girlfriend Maxine Carr was con uh, was convicted of conspiring to pervert the course of justice. Holly's family uh, praised Mackenzie for his help in solving uh, what happened to the girls. A second case, uh, which took place in Australia in 1996, there was a, a well-known hairdresser for the area 
uh, Paula Brown, who was 30 years old at the time and from Sydney, went missing uh, after a night out with her friends. Her fiancé became desperate to find out what had happened to her, so he enlisted the help of a psychic named uh, Philippe Durant. Durant used a lock of Paula's hair uh, and a plumb line and a grid map to pinpoint where he believed police should focus their search. Later, her body was discovered by a passing truck driver, and it was less than two kilometers from the spot where Durant had pointed out. Police later acknowledged the accuracy in Durant's information. And a third case, this one taking place in the U.S., and this is the simplified version of the case that uh, we talked about in the uh, in the intro. Uh, when nurse Melanie Uribe um, missed two days of work in 1980, her friends and family became concerned. Her disappearance was reported, but searches failed to turn up anything. So a clairvoyant named Etta Smith was sure police weren't looking in the correct places, and she uh, believed that Melanie's body was in a bush in a rural area of Los Angeles. She relayed her visions to police and then decided to investigate it herself. She went searching for Melanie with her children and niece in tow and found Melanie's body in the exact location of her vision. Now, doubting her story, as as you heard before, the police arrested Smith on suspicion of murder, but she was released four days later and never charged. Later, the real murderer was caught and convicted. Now, not to be entirely one-sided on here, let's look at some cases that are much more questionable and do not paint the uh, the uh, psychic detectives in any sort of good light. Now, these two examples are excerpts from a blog called Swallowing the Camel. Uh, it was a fun read, and, and again, this is just a tidbit, so I would recommend checking that out. The first is a psychic named Dorothy Allison. See, until her death in, in 1999, Allison enjoyed a pretty solid reputation as a psychic detective. Uh, despite all of her rather exaggerated claims. Uh, this woman from New Jersey employed astrological charts and psychometry in her attempts to locate missing people, often over the phone, and, and she began this in, in the late 1960s. She claimed that she has had assisted law, uh, law enforcement in thousands of cases nationwide, that she led police to the place where Patty Hearst was held captive, and that she had predicted the son of Sam would be caught by a parking ticket, and that uh, that she named the Atlanta child killer as Williams, and that she had even cracked the case of John Wayne Gacy. We won't address all of those cases, but um, in 1967, Allison's first case uh, involved the, the disappearance of a teenage boy in her hometown of uh, Nutley, New Jersey, she approached the police early the following year to report her psychic vision of the boy lying dead in a drainage ditch in a local park. Desperate for any clue, the police uh, obligingly dug up a culvert in the park in search of a body, but they didn't find one. The boy's body was later, later discovered in a pond. Uh, even though this was really a clear miss, word spread that, that Allison had found a missing child. Uh, and then later in 1980... The uh, police in Patterson, New Jersey, consulted Allison on the whereabouts of another missing teenage boy. She gave the exact location of an abandoned building 
and said that the boy's body would be found in the flooded basement. The police painstakingly drained the entire basement in search of remains, but found nothing. The boy's body was actually later found on the other side of the city, outdoors. And as far as the Gacy murders, well, those were actually solved by the police using ordinary methods. Um, 15-year-old Robert uh, Peist had disappeared right after Gacy offered him a job, and police found very incriminating evidence in his house, linking him to other missing boys. When confronted, Gacy confessed to killing one young man in self-defense and burying him in the crawl space beneath his house. And that's where investigators unearthed the remains of 28 other boys. Allison had really led the police on, on just numerous lengthy, costly, wild goose chases in search of bodies. Now, uh, if uh, Miss Allison's story isn't enough, Let's get into really my favorite is uh, Noreen Rainier. Now, these stories are out there. Since the 80s, Noreen Rainier has been best known and really the most highly regarded psychic detective in the business, second pretty much only to Dorothy Allison. Um, even a former FBI agent and pioneering criminal profiler named Robert K. Ressler has praised her for her accuracy and pointed to her work as a showcase example of why law enforcement agencies shouldn't shy away from bringing psychics into criminal investigations. Now, a 1984 plane crash in Massachusetts, it's really Noreen's most controversial case, and it led to a 22-year legal dispute with a Florida skeptic, and, and which isn't even fully resolved. Um, in, in early 1984, Noreen was hired uh, by a lady named Jessica... Herbert to locate the small plane in which her her 29-year-old brother, Arthur, and three others crashed somewhere near Gardner, Massachusetts on the New Hampshire border. In Noreen's visions of the crash, uh, Noreen had become the plane, as she claimed. She circled an isolated airstrip when bright lights blinded her, turning sharply to the left and was sucked down into an area of wooded hills, gorges, and quicksand. Noreen sensed that a large city was a, cent, was a certain number of miles away and that nearby towns begin with the letters G, T, and O. <laughs> Though, again, this recollection is coming from her book, I might add, and in the 2005, which was a later edition of her book, um, she actually changed the letters to H, D, and N. But moving on to that. And then the dirt red... Uh, road led down the mountain to a gas station with a, a rusty Texaco sign owned by an old woman who had several barking dogs and no teeth. I'm assuming the old woman had no teeth, not the barking dogs. Noreen was also, uh, she also saw something amazing. Arthur, the uh, brother of Jessica Herbert, had survived the crash, and he'd stumbled out of the wreckage with a broken leg, carrying something. Now, the Civil Air Patrol's lead investigator recognized the gas station, um, so Jessica and her husband, who was an FBI agent, uh, and along with another agent, uh, rented a plane to survey the area. Even though bad weather stymied them, uh, there was a, a local man and his daughter 
who uh, noticed the search plane and decided to conduct a snowmobile search on their own. And they found the plane. Now, both of them actually would later attest that they had searched the area, not because they saw the search plane, but because it was well known that the plane had gone down within half an hour's flying time from the Gardner Airport, um, and that it was basically in, in their backyard. Authorities found the woman passenger decapitated and seated under a tree as if someone had placed her there. Arthur's body was found sitting on the side of a hill, his leg broken, and it was clear to everyone that he had been alive when he left the plane. Now, that was the quote. Now, skeptic James Merrill had just absolutely pounced on Noreen's claim uh, and that this claim that she found the plane when it was actually the searchers that had done all the hard work of, of trudging through the woods and the hills. You know, Noreen hadn't even left her, her home in Virginia, and he accused her of making fraudulent claims. Uh, so Noreen then went on the defensive, and again, you're seeing now the beginning of this long battle. She sued Merrill for defamation and actually won. And as part of the judgment, both parties signed an agreement to refrain from disparaging each other. But in 2005, with Noreen's autobiography containing passages critical of Merrill, he sued for breach of contract and won a large settlement in return. Since then, he's continued his criticism of her claims via a website. And I'm going to link that, that website down below in the show notes. Uh, he's made some pretty significant points about the Herbert crash. And notably this, that Arthur Herbert did not survive the crash. All four passengers died on impact. So Noreen's notion that Arthur walked away from the plane carrying his, the headless woman is just, is just fantasy. Um, and uh, like I said, I'm going to be linking that, that up. And while, you know, this, this attack uh, against Noreen at times seems kind of, kind of picky, petty, it, it actually is some pretty heavy-duty investigative work. And uh, um, if it's to be believed, then much of Noreen's claims are completely delegitimized. But, uh, you know, now that you've heard about some of these well-known psychics and cases, uh, I wanted to, to talk about another resource, which I actually found interesting. In, in searching for some organizations or how should I say that resources you know how do you go about finding a psychic detective you know to just punch it in you know to google well actually I came across uh, a site called find me and uh, it's it's the it's findmegroup.org um, and this is from their website directly uh, find me is a comprehensive program that utilizes both traditional and non-traditional methods to locate missing loved ones and resolve homicides. Our team is comprised of retired and active law enforcement experts, individuals gifted with psychic abilities, and skilled search, track, rescue, and recovery specialists. Find Me also provides experts in other disciplines, such as handwriting analysis, body language experts, linguistics, and forensic psychology. So there you go. They're a one-stop shop for investigators, searchers, and psychics. There's actually this 
big, uh, you know, big proponent of sites and, and, and find me is interesting. You know, if, um, if their information is to be, uh, believed, uh, they've got some very persuasive and legitimate success stories on their site. Um, with, uh, with effectively what's, what is, is thank yous from, uh, investigators and police chiefs, uh, from various areas, as well as, as, uh, families of, of victims, um, and, and, and missing children, uh, and missing people period. So it's a, it's a nonprofit organization that doesn't seem to charge for many of their services, um, so it's you know it seems to be a pretty legitimate organization that genuinely relies on uh genuinely relies on uh this their psychic investigators as an aspect of their overall services but of course you know I've talked about cases psychic cases that are often relayed through the uh, uh versions um through books and and stories of the psychics themselves and of course, you're going to find a very positive light on sites like Find Me. But there are some criticisms of of psychic detectives in general. Uh, you know, one of the key criticisms is the concept of retrofitting. And really, retrofitting is is after the fact matching of information once a case has come to a conclusion. You know, in such cases, claims such as "I see water" and the number seven could be found applicable because usually there's some body of water nearby a stream, a reservoir, a lake, a swimming pool, etc. And the number seven is found correlating with a distance or a highway number or a license plate number or an apartment number, etc. Um, so, you know, retrofitting is something that, that people are prone to do in order to, to do that provide that cognitive tie you know other criticisms amount to exaggerated claims by the psychics themselves you know Noreen uh, Rainier comes to mind many of the claims found in her book have been proven simply to be outright lies or exaggerations um, additionally a, a big criticism is the idea of ordinary means painted in an extraordinary light and that the some of these self-professed psychics are simply very good at, at briefing themselves with newspaper files and area maps or utilizing a, a technique, the technique of cold reading, you know, to fish for information while gauging, uh, gauging listeners' reactions. You know, this, this is then information gleaned from all of this is then provided as visions or intuitive insight by the psychic. And another factor and, and, and heavy criticism is that there's just a social and psychological factor that makes recipients more willing to accept the psychic. And we'll get in those a bit as we move into the theology. Uh, but, you know, there you are. I mean, it's that's the kind of the background in a nutshell of psychic investigation and psychic detectives. Uh, mind you, those are just a, a tidbit of the examples that can be found out there. And of course, some leaning on the side of, of very persuasive and some leaning on the side of extremely critical. But let's move into the theoriology. You know, let's try and, and understand why we're fascinated with this, why it is so popular 
and we watch these cases and we read the news reports and it affects our media and it, 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 it's come on our television shows and in the movies. Um, why this fascination with uh, psychic detectives? Well, first off, we want to believe. Well, let's look at the statics of psychic, the statistics of psychic belief. There was a Gallup poll that was conducted in 2001 that showed more than a quarter of Americans believed in the power of the mind to know the past and predict the future, with another 23% that were not sure. Now, less than half were a definite no. So you look at those numbers and, yeah, we're ready to believe. But what else? Is that is that belief or, or willingness to believe enough to, uh, to do the, uh, explain the interest? Well, let's look at the aspect of the unsolved crime itself. You know, there's a uh, psychology to it. I mean, the truth is unsolved crimes, missing persons, uh, it's hard for the survivors. And I want to introduce a concept called complicated grief. Now, according to the Center for Complicated Grief, it is a persistent form of intense grief in which maladaptive thoughts and dysfunctional behaviors are present, along with a continued yearning, longing, and sadness, and or a preoccupation with thoughts and memories of the person who's missing or who's died. You know, grief continues to dominate life, and the future seems bleak and empty. In that case, irrational thoughts that the deceased person might reappear are common, and the bereaved person can feel lost and alone. Uh, of course, complicated grief, you know, as you're hearing, doesn't apply simply to these cases of, of missing people, but uh, you know, lots of, of usually abrupt loss and, and, and situations of, of abandonment, uh, whether it's felt to be intentional or, or not. Um, but, you know, of course, that explains the, the idea of the survivors and, and people pursuing uh, help and assistance from a psychic detective. But what about us? Well, we don't like grief either. I mean, we just don't like it. Uh, you know, we are spectators to these unsolved cases and we identify, uh, oftentimes with the families and the victims and by identifying it and identifying with them and connecting with these stories, um, then, you know, we take on that aspect of, of grief and we simply want to find an answer. So there you go. Is, is that enough? Well, let's keep looking at it. I mean, just because we're receptive to it, um, is there something else? Well, the behavior of law enforcement uh, and giving opportunity to it. I mean, there's, there's some credence to the use of psychic detectives because Law enforcement uh, organizations have given them opportunity. But why? Why do they do that? Well, other than perhaps because of faith and belief in it by particular individuals in those organizations, the organizations as a whole, in general, everything that I found, most of them simply do not, um, you know, simply do not believe that, that it's, it's, a, it's a viable source of information but they'll still use them. Why? Well, because of requests by victim families. So when a family has approached a psychic on their own 
and then brought this information to the police. Uh, the uh, the police, they're obligated at, at those times often to pursue any available lead or viable lead. Um, and, and additionally, they know that this calms family concerns while an investigation is ongoing. You know, a family feels as though they are contributing to it. They're bringing in an expert of sorts, and the police uh, are at least entertaining the idea and investigating an option, uh, which can can alleviate some of the stress for a family. Additionally, it distracts the media. News coverage can impede investigations uh, while trying to inform us. And again, looking at this from a, a spectator, we're trying to to keep up with every press release and every announcement and everything, every update that's fed. Um, if there is a psychic lead and someone that's willing to take up a bit of that spotlight, allowing the investigators to do their work, uh, sometimes it's welcome. Now, additionally, they're going to use it tactically. I mean, it's a tactic that's used to unnerve suspects. If they have a suspect in custody that they know may be um, receptive already to the idea of of psychic power and that intuitive information, then it may make them uncomfortable if the police can say, yeah, we've brought in a psychic and they are looking into uh, evidence against you. If a suspect uh, believes that they're already you know, going to be found and caught, then it it could lead them to go ahead and and confess. So now we've seen that, hey, you know what? We believe in psychics. And, you know, it's, it's easy then for families and for the rest of us to turn to an option like a psychic investigator uh, in order to try and reduce those, those, Option, those grief scenarios and that experience. But uh, in an addition, of course, we're, we've, we've seen that uh, investigators will utilize psychic detectives within an investigation, uh, which there may be a basis for it, a reason for it, but it does lend some uh, legitimacy and credence. But why does it really fascinate us? The truth is those things don't... they. They may give us a reason why we would utilize it, or if we've very much personalized the case, uh, why we would lend validity to the psychic detectives. And of course, we already see some good reasons why police forces, aside from simply belief, uh, might utilize a psychic detective. But why are we fascinated for, by it? Why do we want to see it on TV? Why do we want to hear it in our books? Why do we want to believe in the possibility? Well, I've got two concepts for you. Ambiguous loss and focalism. Now, both of those are funny terms, but let's look at ambiguous loss first. Let's define it. Ambiguous loss is a loss in which there is a physical absence, but a psychological, i.e. emotional presence. You know, this is an extremely traumatic loss that's often associated with missing persons and disappearance cases. And the trauma comes from not having an answer about what happened and where a loved one is. See, this is an uncanny loss. This is that irrational fear 
of losing everything. And that's what it prompts in us, this ambiguous loss experienced by uh, by victims' families and by, by survivors turns into, translates um, to us as, as viewers, as spectators, as followers of the institution. Uh, of the of the case um, as a as an irrational fear and we've discussed this in in previous uh, episodes with the our discussion on terror management theory which we don't have to redive into now other than that's a theory that's based on our reactions to this this fear of losing everything and this this fear of loss it leads to um complicated grief. It leads to PTSD, uh, severe anxiety, and ultimately it results in the grief process being frozen. And so it can't complete. And, you know, we've, we've all heard of those various stages of grief, but the idea is that someone can't progress through them. Now, why does this affect us? And why are we looking at the idea of loss? Well, here's the reality of it. Upwards of Eight million children go missing every year. Eight million children globally. I mean, there's 900,000 missing persons in the United States alone. So, honestly, we all relate. We all relate. One of the key recommendations in dealing with this ambiguous loss is is for uh, the, the griever to understand that it's okay to keep looking. And that it keeps hope alive. Well, there's the key for use in, in psychics. You know, it's it's not often the first choice. But when all hope seems lost, it's okay to keep looking. It's okay to use any means at your disposal. So that's the key, uh, you know, for for how that ambiguous loss impacts us. It digs deep and it truly affects us. It translates from the victims' families, from the survivor families into us. And it has us question our own uh, possibility of loss. And, and then that leads into us pursuing hope and finding avenues for hope. The other concept is focalism. Now, focalism, this is, this is a more practical aspect on how um, the psychics play into it. And, and let's define focalism. So that it's, and you can say it until you say it funny, but it's, it's a logical fallacy. And it, it means uh, to get attached to a specific piece of information and adjust all data toward it. You know, even if it means altering other information. Now, this leaves investigations vulnerable to the law of coincidences. The significance of items that feel right get amplified. And this is also known as anchoring. Now, remember, logic is a tool. I mean, it's just a chain of reasoning to reach a conclusion. And But, but when the stakes are high, right, emotion can influence that direction. So uh, with a lack of information and proper training in some cases, uh, along with ego or the desire for media attention, you know, that you can also have misguided attempts to ensure a tight case within the uh, law enforcement community or just to get the case closed and get it done efficiently. Um, but 
you know, merely making sense of a, a collection of items and behaviors, it, it doesn't get, guarantee that you're going to get to the truth because, you know, making sense um, of things often, it has a feels right component to it and it can steer us wrong if we're not paying attention. You know, if, if we have to make assumptions to bridge some gaps or if we start reasoning ahead of, of collecting facts, well, there's room for error. But looking at that as, as looking at focalism, well, why does that drive us toward psychics? Well, psychic participation and intervention can both hurt and help a case. You know, it can cause focalism in the perspective of family and media, causing them to hone in on insight and descriptions provided by the psychic medium and becoming critical of the police investigations uh, and, and if they pursue other leads that may contradict what the psychic has said. You know, we get caught up in this supernatural insight and our hope for an easy answer to a mystery. And, uh, and usually that mystery has is, is become, you know, it's hit a point of, of becoming a protracted problem. Uh, and, you know, of course, it, that, can, that can impede, that can cause problems, that can move people away from um, a successful investigation. Conversely, as a positive, psychic intervention can redirect an investigation. I mean, it can breathe new life into abandoned leads. I mean, the same criticism that is made of a wasted use of resources can result in an investigation reviewing old evidence or visiting locations that have not previously received enough focus due to preconceived assumptions by a pressured law enforcement team that's just trying to get done with a case. Now, this could be said of many cold case files being reopened and resolved, uh, whether through... Uh, you know, the, the intervention of a psychic medium or simply a, a persistent uh, uh, armchair investigator that, uh, that looks into something with a, a fresh set of eyes. Well, you know, that's, those are the concepts. And, and when, you, when you look at that, um, at those areas, well, you, you start to get a, a real good picture of why we're fascinated. And I mean, it was a lot, and I know I've read through a lot of, of examples, uh, but, but it is. It, it really is just scratching the surface. Um, you know, here's where we'd normally jump into our endurance test, but I, I think we can skip that episode because it's safe to say that simply all the answers are yes. Yes, it's been around a long time. Yes, it has a large influence. Yes, it's relevant still. And yes, it will continue to capture public imagination going forward. So... Let's wrap this up. I mean, whew, you know? <laughs> okay, you know, I'm not going to say there was a lot to unpack because I, I don't like that inspection, but frankly, there was a lot to unpack. <laughs> when I began this research, I, I really thought it just might be a case of we like unsolved mystery, with air quotes, you know, to explain the public fascination. But frankly, true crime is is a big thing. I mean, and then... Uh, that seemed like a good enough reason, but it actually was more than that. You know, we want to believe in psychic phenomena, and clearly there are those that would attest to the viability and success in some of these cases. Yes, there are charlatans out there that prey on, on 
the vulnerability of, of those that are grieving and suffering loss. I mean, just, just take a look at Noreen Rainier's history and understand that most of it is fake. And of course, the internet will give you all of the skeptic perspective that you want. But, you know, I was surprised by the support found in organizations like Find Me. I mean, they have real success testimony that, you know, if it's to be believed, amounts to sincere gratitude from families and law enforcement that found benefit to divinated assistance. And this is a legitimate organization that seems genuinely focused on providing help and support. Um, so, you know, there's that. And I mean, also we don't like grief and we, and we don't handle loss. (laughs) We just don't as a populace and a community, we become more than just spectators to these cases. We relate and internalize these events. The ambiguous loss becomes a possibility of us losing our loved ones. And we want answers when no one seems to be looking in the right direction. Uh, you know, all of you true crime fans out there, think of all the times you've read about a case only to find yourself screaming at the podcast or looking at your book wondering, why don't you look at that? It's right there. Why didn't you pursue that? Well, psychic detectives provide something. I mean, whether they are truly guided by some supernatural phenomenon, or they're simply naturally intuitive and capable of processing details in a fresh perspective that seem unnatural to some. They do play a role, even if that role is simply to frustrate law enforcement and skeptics. Look, I don't, I don't know if there's any legitimacy or not to the claims, and I barely scratch the surface of examples and claims. But I do know that the idea fascinates us. And, and why does it? Well, because... We all feel loss, and it doesn't feel good. Okay, well, I think that's all for the day. I mean, thanks again for joining me. And like always, if you like what you hear, go go ahead and hit that follow or, or the subscribe button so that you don't miss any of our discussions. Connect with me via email, contact at conspiracytheoryology.com. Join the Facebook group, find me on Twitter at theoryologypod. Or just recommend the show to others. Like I always say, there's no higher compliment than to know that you've shared the show with others. You know, let them know that they can hear the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and through much any uh, any podcast app that they have. Or even better, just send them to the website. All the info uh, can be found at the show's website, conspiracytheoryology.com including how to support the show on the new Patreon page, which I finally have uh, an episode up on the Patreon page uh, where we discuss the uh, Sunspot Observatory. And I promise I'm going to start putting a lot of uh, good content on that. So uh, that's definitely a way to uh, to support the show and to get some extra extra stuff. Music, as always, is by Adam Henry Garcia. So if you'd like to hear more of Adam's music, visit adamhenrygarcia.bandcamp.com. All right, I'll see you again in two weeks when we will tackle another theory and make sense of the public popularity. So until next time, remember, beyond the conspiracy and behind the belief lies the theoryology. <laughs>